order. Questions to the Prime Minister, Mr. Jamie Reid. Number one, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, uh, before I answer the question, let me make another tribute to our troops. They are working with incredibly, incredible bravery, with fortitude and with dedication to defeat those that would bring terrorism to the streets of Britain by denying the terrorists both land and support by offering the population of Helmand in Afghanistan a more secure and more prosperous future. I know the House will join me in paying tribute to the seven soldiers who have lost their lives since the House last met, from 1st Battalion Coldstream Guards, Lance Corporal Darren Hicks, from 1st Battalion Grenadier Guards, Lance Sergeant David Greenholm, from 6th Battalion The Rifles attached to 3rd Battalion The Rifles, Rifleman Mark Marshall, from the 2nd Battalion The Duke of Lancaster Re Regiment, Kingsman Sean Dawson, from 3-6 Engineer Regiment, Royal Engineers, Sapper Guy Mellers, from 1st Battalion Coldstream Guards, Lieutenant Douglas Dalzell, from 1st Battalion Scots Guards, Lance Sergeant David Walker. These were men of exceptional bravery, of great courage and great skill, whose loss is deeply felt. Each and every one of them was a hero, dedicated to their colleagues and to their mission. We send our profound condolences to their families and loved ones. This, Mr. Speaker, this morning I am meeting with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in the House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Mr. Jamie Reid. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I am sure everyone in the House will want to associate themselves with the Prime Minister's comments. My constituents never shared in the bankers' bonuses, yet my constituents paid to bail out the banks. What assurances can my right honourable friend give me that they will get their money back, that we will not allow bankers' greed to threaten our core public services? and that we will not ever squander this investment on a half-baked public share offer. Yeah. Mr Speaker, first of, first of all, the, we have imposed a 50% national insurance tax on bank bonuses, which has to be paid by everybody paying cash bonuses over the course of the next year. Uh, we have insisted on the application of the G20 rules, which means that cash bonuses above a certain amount uh, cannot be paid and can only be paid at a later date. Uh, we are also working for a global banking levy where we are in discussions with other countries and making progress on how that could be administered. At the same time, we are determined that the banks pay back every penny that is owed to the British public. That is an essential means by which we reduce the deficit, and any plan to give cut price shares would mean that the deficit would be higher and the public would be denied the money that they should receive return. Can I, can I first of all join the Prime Minister in paying tribute to the seven servicemen who have been killed in Afghanistan since the last time that we met? Lance Sergeant David Walker, Lieutenant Douglas Darzell, Sapper Guy Mellers, Kingsman Sean Dawson, Rifleman Mark Marshall, Lance Sergeant David Greenhall and Lance Corporal Darren Hicks. We are paying a high price for the operations we are undertaking in Helmand, but it is an essential mission and our forces and their families need to know they have the support of the whole House and the whole country in the work that they are doing. Yeah. While the report into the Stafford Hospital has only just been published, I want to ask a couple of questions before turning to other subjects. Hundreds of people went into that hospital, some with relatively straightforward ailments, and ended up dying because of the way they were mistreated. Talking to the relatives, as many of us in this House have done, is absolutely heartbreaking. 
Does the Prime Minister understand that these victims will never be content with an inquiry that was conducted in private, behind closed doors, without any public hearings? Does he understand their clamour for a public inquiry? Let let me say, uh, first of all, that we understand uh, both the um, uh, sadness and the sorrow uh, of all the relatives uh, who lost uh, loved ones in the Mid Staffordshire Hospital uh, Trust. And we know that every single one of those cases where relatives have doubts or questions are now being investigated as individual cases. And I understand that there are more than 300 uh, cases that are being investigated, and every one of these families deserves to have the answers that are necessary. So that is the first form of inquiry that is being done. The second form of inquiry is the Francis inquiry, which, as the Secretary of State for Health will report in a few minutes, will continue its work on the regulation and the supervision of foundation hospitals, and particularly of this hospital. What happened in this hospital was completely unacceptable. What happened was a management failure in this hospital. And when it comes to accident and emergency, I am shocked not only to read the stories, but to find that where there should have been four consultants, there was only one, and where there should have been 55 nurses, there was only 37. This is a failure in management that has got to be dealt with. I'm grateful to the Secretary of State for Health for bringing forward a series of recommendations, including a recommendation that where management fails, just as with doctors, we will be able to strike off the managers from a list of those who are not acceptable for health authorities. David Cameron. I'm grateful for that answer, but isn't one of the tragedies of Stafford is that people were dying because of this bad practice, not just bad management, but bad clinical practice and an over-adherence to processes, year after year after year. Death rates at the hospital were far too high and out of line from 2005, yet the Healthcare Commission only started investigating in 2008. Isn't it clear that the structure of primary care trusts, strategic health authorities, the Healthcare Commission, didn't bring this to light early enough? Does the Prime Minister agree we need a better way of publishing results and patient outcomes in our hospitals and we need openness, clarity and transparency to stop this happening again? Yes, Mr Speaker, but he should recognise the action that we've already taken. A new quality test for Foundation Trust, new requirement of approvement by the NHS Medical Director, a Care Quality Commission investigation. Uh, reviews are already underway. We can remove the chairs of the Trust more evening, easily. There is now already an early warning system in place. All these things have been done already, but at the same time, the Secretary of State will announce later today there will be an inquiry into mortality ratios and whether that is the best way of judging whether a hospital is being successful. There will be proposals about the deauthorization of Foundation Trusts, and of course we know that there are also disciplinary hearings underway. We have done everything that we can to ensure that after, that after this has been exposed, after this has been exposed, we not only investigate the individual worries of families who are affected, but also learn every lesson possible so that this would not happen again. And we have a statement this morning from the, from the interim chair of the Healthcare Quality Commission. We have no reason to believe that there is another trust in England with problems of the scale and magnitude that existed in Miss Staffordshire. I want to re- reassure people uh, on that, but also that we are constantly tracking the situation. Mr David Cameron. Just as we need openness in the health service, so we need openness at the heart of government. After the, after the, 
After the Chancellor's extraordinary statement last night, the Prime Minister said this morning on GMTV, and I quote, I would never instruct anybody to do anything other than support my Chancellor. <laughs> with a straight face and tell us that's true. Mr Speaker, it's not only correct, but this is the nearest he's ever got to talking about the economy in the last few months. If you want to talk about, if he wants to talk about the economy, we can talk. We can talk about... Order. Order. Members must calm down. The Leader of the Opposition must be heard. Mr. Dickman. We can talk about him trebling the deficit, about wrecking the pension system, about ruining the tax system, and about bringing this country to its knees. But right now, right now, six weeks before an election, with a record budget deficit, at the end of a long recession, I want to ask why the Prime Minister and the Chancellor are at war with each other. This is what we are told. This is what we are told. Damien McBride, listen. Any, any closer and they'll start kissing. Damien McBride, Gordon Brown's spin doctor, was spreading poison against Darling. He told every journalist who had access to a pencil that Alistair's interview was a disaster. There was the most poisonous briefing against him. Last night, the Chancellor said that after he said what he said, Number 10 Downing Street, and I quote, unleashed the forces of hell. Why does the Prime Minister think he said that? I've already answered his question. I never instructed a briefing against the Chancellor. Now, now when it comes to the question of the economy which he has raised, can, can he and his party now explain why they were for reducing the deficit, then against reducing the deficit, and are now for reducing the deficit again. None of his policies stand up, and that's why there is never any substance from the Leader of the Opposition. It was this Prime Minister who put character at the heart of the election. Prime Minister who says, judge us on his moral compass. Why is it the moral compass always points at someone else rather than him? Let me, let me, oh, this is a verbatim eyewitness account from one of the journalists. Listen to this. Brown's point man turned to the journalist and started laying in... Order, if honourable and right honourable members do not stop shouting, I may have to ring some sort of helpline myself. Or worse still, suspend the sitting. It makes an extremely bad impression, this sort of noise and ranting on the British public. I appeal to the House to have some regard for the way in which we are viewed by the electorate. The House will hear the Leader of the Opposition. I gather things have got so bad in Downing Street that even the security guards need protection. <laughs> Let's just keep it simple. Will the Prime Minister Will the Prime Minister get to his feet and tell us he knew absolutely nothing about the briefing against his Chancellor in front of all these people who've worked with him for so long, after 27 ministerial resignations, after three attempts to get rid of him, get to your feet and tell us you knew nothing about the briefing against the Chancellor.
is not doing very well. He has asked me the same question three times and I've answered it. Now, let us, Mr. Speaker, I would rather be defending my Chancellor than be in his position having to defend his and the truth, and the, and the truth of the matter is that the Chancellor has been right on every issue of economic policy over the last two years, and the Shadow Chancellor and the Leader of the Opposition have been wrong on every issue in the last two years. If the Chancellor was right, why was he trying to get rid of him? Right. The Prime Minister wants to talk about the economy. Let me give him one statistic and see if he will confirm it. Figures out today show that GDP per capita is lower today than when this government began. Will he confirm this is the first government in 40 years to leave this country poorer than when it began? Mr Speaker, uh, the Chancellor and I can confirm that GDP is higher per head than it was in 1997. That is absolute. That is the question he asked and that is the answer he'll get. Mr Speaker, you know, the problem, the problem with the Leader of the Opposition is that not one time does he ask any question about the substance of policy. He gets it wrong every time. People are now taking a hard, long look at the Conservative. And Mr. Speaker, they are now seeing through them. Liz Blackman. I'm sure that members want to hear Liz Blackman. Thank you, um, thank you Mr. Speaker. Firstly, can I add my condolences to those of my right honourable friend. David Greenhow uh, lived in Ilkeston in Arrowash, my constituency, and was a very brave young man. Um, to receive a diagnosis of cancer must be one of the most frightening experiences in anybody's life. Currently, 94.1% of patients see a cancer specialist within two weeks. Can I welcome the Government's intention to build on that incredible progress and make the two-week goal a legal entitlement, thus further reassuring patients with cancer and their families? Mr Speaker, I'm grateful to my honourable friend who's taken a very keen interest in how we can progress against cancer in our country. And the truth is that if people get early screening and early diagnosis, there is a 90% plus chance of survival from both breast cancer and from other forms of cancer like bowel cancer. And that is why we are so keen that everybody can see a specialist as quickly as possible if they have the fears and everyone can get the diagnosis as quickly as possible. And that is, what will that is what will save lives. And I have to say, the policy of having a guarantee of two weeks and then reduced to one week is a policy that has got massive support throughout the country. And I cannot understand for the life of me why the Conservative Party is against these guarantees that we give to every patient in the country. If they want to show their commitment to the National Health Service, they should support the guarantees for cancer care. Mr Nick Clegg. I would obviously like to add my own expressions of sympathy and condolence to the family and friends of the seven brave soldiers who tragically lost their lives serving so selflessly, so professionally in Afghanistan since the House last sat. Lance Corporal Darren Hicks, Lance Sergeant David Greenhow, Rifleman Mark Marshall, Kingsman Sean Dawson, Sapper Guy Mellers, Lieutenant Douglas Dalzell, Lance Sergeant David Walker. We all owe them and their families an eternal debt of gratitude. 
Uh, Mr Speaker, the last time the Prime Minister wheeled out his uh, slogan, a future fair for all, was back in 2003. Then, just as now, the poorest were paying more of their income in tax than the richest. But there's one big difference. Since 2003, the gap between what the poorest are paying and the richest has doubled. How can he possibly call that fair? Mr Speaker, as I've said to him before, he has got to include the importance of tax credits. And he forgets that six million families in this country are getting child tax credits, that child benefit was worth only £10 when we came into office, and the child tax credit is worth anything from £30 to £100 for a family of one or two. And that is why we've been able to reduce child poverty in this country. And because we support the policy of tax credits, that is why we will continue to reduce child poverty in this country. And parties that wish to cut child tax credits, as the Conservative Party wants to do, parties that wish to cut that will put more children in poverty in this country. And that's why we oppose their policy. Speaker, he, he reels off his so-called record, but let's, he asks us. He asks us. He asks us. He asks us to take a second look. What do we find on the 10p tax rate hitting hard-up families? On the hike in national insurance hitting people who work hard and play by the rules? Tax injustice for the many, tax breaks for the few. Isn't the truth, Mr. Speaker? Isn't the truth, Mr. Speaker? Given what happened last time the Prime Minister promised a future fair for all, this isn't a slogan, it's a warning. I thought he would do better than that because, first of all, we have been dealing with tax breaks at the top, including the removal of pension tax reliefs for those who are very wealthy, and I hope he will continue to support our policy. The Chancellor has signed an agreement with Liechtenstein which will bring a billion pounds of money back to this country. But as far as helping everybody, as far as helping everybody is concerned, it is our policy to help the unemployed and to help people out of recession that is making the difference between poverty and people having sufficient to live on. And that's why, because of our policies, there are half a more million people in work than was even predicted at the time of the budget. And that's what makes the difference to poverty. Mr. Sharma. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, would the Prime Minister and the whole House join with me in condemning the kidnapping and the brutal murders of beheading of two Sikh young men in Pakistan by extremist Taliban groups? And share with the House what action the government is taking to assist the Pakistan government in protecting minority groups in Pakistan from Taliban. Yeah. Mr. Mr. Speaker, the uh danger that is posed by both the Afghan Taliban and the Pakistan Taliban, which both work from Pakistan, is something that becomes more and more obvious every day. And when he refers to the murders of people in Pakistan by the Pakistan Taliban, he is referring to violent incidents that are happening every day as a result of the efforts of the Taliban. We are working with the Pakistani authorities so that we can make inroads into the Taliban. There has been some success with the leadership of the Afghan Taliban in only the last few weeks. But at the same time, we will continue to work with the Pakistan security authorities and we will continue to say to the Pakistani people, we will help children with their education. We ask you uh, to work with us so that madrasas cannot have an evil influence on the young people of Pakistan. David Hethgood Amory. <laughs> Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister will know that government expenditure on advertising and marketing and self-promotion 
went up by more than 40% last year. And it obviously isn't working. Will he cut it out? We've already announced we're going to have the government advertising budget and the consultancy budget. You should know that. Mr David Cleland. Prime Minister, aware that February was designated by the Office of Fair Trading as Scams Awareness Month, does the attempt by the party does the, uh, does the attempt by the party opposite, opposite to pose as a government uh, a party fit for government not qualify as one of the biggest scams in recent history? Uh, and would he join me in logging on to scamnesty.com to draw attention to this latest example of a blatant scammeron? <laughs> Mr Speaker, they're a party led by the airbrush and they're financed, they're financed from offshore. David Amos. My constituent Stephen Oliver, at the age of 30, died in tragic and mysterious circumstances uh, late last year. The family of Stephen are very disappointed by the Greek authorities failure to properly investigate his death and furthermore of the British government's seeming acceptance of the situation. I'm now asking the Prime Minister to take a personal interest in this situation and try and get the answers to the questions that the family are raising. I'm grateful to the Honourable Member. He gave me advance uh, notice uh, of this uh, question. And I, like he, is very sorry to hear of the tragic death of Stephen Oliver in October last year and I too send my sincere condolences to the Oliver family. I understand that consular staff in London and in Greece are ready to provide advice and assistance to Mr Oliver's family as appropriate, including the advice on how best to seek further information about the circumstances of his death. And I will make sure that that is done, and I'm sure ministerial colleagues at the Foreign and Commonwealth Office will look further into any concerns that the Honourable Member may have. Mark Durkin. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Can the Prime Minister confirm that he condemns not only the use of false UK passports in a criminal operation, but any act of state-sponsored assassination anywhere? And will he drop the government's plans to amend the law here on universal jurisdiction, which has so far been justified on the basis of the need to protect Israel's right to due diplomatic conduct? and to proper intergovernmental engagement, standards for which the Israeli government has currently showing utter contempt in the disdain with which the Israeli Foreign Minister treated his Foreign Secretary this week. Mr Speaker, I I can assure him, uh, where there are questions about the misuse of British passports, they have to be answered. And we have set up, and there is an investigation ongoing into the very instance that he has raised. I would not draw immediate conclusions without seeing the evidence, and I think it is important to see the evidence on this before any further conclusions are made. But I do agree with them. We do not support state-sponsored terrorism in any country. But I have to say to them, the laws on international jurisdiction affect all countries and not just one country. Stuart Jackson. As has been well chronicled, the Prime Minister had a famously tempestuous relationship with his predecessor, who described him as a big clunking fist. Did he mean it literally? (laughs) Mr Speaker, once again the Conservative Party can't raise an issue of policy. You know, today, yesterday we had an education statement, 
On Monday, we had a business conference with announcements of new investment, and a Conservative backbencher gets up with a planted question from the front bench, can't answer a question, can't ask a question even about his own constituency. Darry Taylor. Mr Speaker, my right honourable friend knows that the whole of Teesside are waiting for news about Chorus, a company whose order book was 80% full in December, is now mothballed, and 1,700 are made unemployed. Would the Prime Minister tell the House this afternoon what his ministers are doing to secure and help secure a purchase, and whether it is the case that Tata are unprepared to sell this company and speak to British ministers. Well Mr Speaker, first of all, I share her anger about what has happened on Teesside. And the loss of 1,700 jobs in any area is something that is unacceptable. The loss of 1,700 jobs in an area which has depended on this industry for years and had a contract which would have been guaranteeing future work for many future years is more unacceptable and something that we have to look at very carefully. As I think the House knows, there was a contract involving four companies that would have guaranteed the output of this plant. That contract broke down through the partners in it disagreeing amongst themselves about the future. We are doing everything that we can to find a buyer for this plant. I have personally talked to Mr Tata and to the Chief Executive of Chorus, and I have met uh, people in the area who are concerned about what is happening to the jobs and the prospects of young people in that area. As we look for a potential buyer, we have also put £60 million into the Teesside area so that we can create new jobs, new training opportunities for jobs, and new developments in the area that will give jobs in the future. But I, with her, share my anger about what happened and my determination that our government will do everything we can to make sure that people who lose jobs get jobs in the future, and if we can avoid it, that people don't lose jobs at all. Amen. Mr Speaker. Uh, since the introduction of the new rules on motorcycling and tests, since 2008, the number of people taking the test has declined by 62% and the number of people passing the test by 58%. The motorbiking industry is extremely important in the UK. What will the Prime Minister do to rectify what's obviously a very poor system? I shall, uh, I, I shall take the figures she's given me and I will ask the Transport Minister to look into this uh, very matter. It is important that we have a strong motorcycling industry in this country and it is important that the questions she has about the specifics of tests be answered. Derek Wyatt. Kensley Larrier was com committed of rape in 2005 based on DNA held in the national database. Isn't it the case, Prime Minister, that if storage was restricted to three years, he would be walking free? Mr Speaker, I think this is a very important issue where a national debate would help us resolve these issues. Last year, there were 832 matches to the National DNA Database, and these were made in cases of murder, manslaughter and rape. And that is why it is supported by the families of victims as being essential to protect the public. So any proposal from the Conservative Party that reduces the ability of that DNA register to punish and to find those people who are criminals is, I believe, a step backwards for justice in the country. And I hope that the Conservative Party will think again about a policy that would leave people who are guilty free as a result of our inability to take the action necessary. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The words of respect that the Prime Minister spoke today about Lieutenant uh, Douglas Dalzell would be echoed in every corner of the community in West Berkshire from where he came. 
does the Prime Minister agree that uh, nearly everyone in this country supports our troops, but there is a sizable proportion of the population who are at least sceptical of our role there? And does he feel with me that there is a, a moral imperative on him and his ministers to articulate and inform the value of the work our troops do there and the necessity of stabilising that region? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, sh I share the sympathies that he's expressing to the family of, of his uh, constituents who tragically lost uh, his life. And I do share with him uh, the urgency of persuading the country that first of all, we are in Afghanistan because there is a threat of terrorism on the streets of Britain. And I repeat that the majority of the plots that have been discovered in Britain that would threaten the lives of people in Britain, the majority of these serious terrorist plots come from the Afghanistan-Pakistan area. In other words, they don't come from plots within Britain, they don't come from plots within Europe, they are organised from that area. And that is why we are in Afghanistan, to prevent al-Qaeda running Afghanistan through a government that would be run by the Taliban itself. And I say second, secondly, secondly to him, we have got to persuade people that we have a purpose for our mission, and that is to train up the Afghan forces. There will be 300,000 Afghan police or security forces or army in 2011. There will be a far greater force in numbers than the coalition forces together. And gradually, the Afghan forces, as in operation together, gradually the Afghan forces have got to take security control of their country to allow our troops to come home. Mr Neil Gerrard. Uh, Mr Speaker, people in my constituency want to know what the government's priorities will be after the election. Yeah. Now, surprisingly, <laughs> fox, <laughs> fox hunting isn't actually an issue for them, but one of the things that taxation is, and could the Prime Minister confirm that what he will definitely not have as a priority is cuts in inheritance tax yeah, for the benefit yeah, of a small yeah. minority of people effectively paid for by everyone else out of their taxes? Mr Speaker, the, the opposition party have announced that they wish to cut the child trust funds, cut child tax credit and they would cut the Sure Start children's centres in our constituency. And where would the money go to pay for an inheritance tax cut for only 3,000 people? It doesn't take much time to leaflet these 3,000 people to tell them that they would be 200,000. Order, order, order. I think we're clear about the government's position. Mr Michael Ankrum. Mr Speaker, would the Prime Minister agree with me that renewed acts of violence, uh, terrorist violence in Northern Ireland are not only threats to the peace process but are direct attacks on the very communities from which these terrorists come? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mr Speaker, there are members uh, from, uh, uh, in all sides of the House here who are from Northern Ireland or care deeply about Northern Ireland and I agree with them that any renewed uh, terrorist attacks are something that we have got to be both vigilant about and take the necessary action uh, to stop. As he knows, uh, large numbers of previously terrorist organisations have decommissioned their weapons and announced that they are ceasing violence. There are two organisations that have not done so, and it is the pressure upon them that must be brought to bear. But the way we show terrorist organisations that we will have no trouble with the violence is building up the strength of the political and democratic process in Northern Ireland, and that's why I urge all parties parties in this House and in the Northern Ireland Assembly to support the agreement that will mean the devolution of policing and justice and the end to a process of constitutional conflict over many years in Northern Ireland. That would be the biggest signal we could send to anybody who is interested in terrorism in Northern Ireland. Stephen Powell. <laughs> Thank you, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, I enjoy a pint of porter and a game of darts as much as, as, much as any old Etonian. <laughs> 
the similarity ends. <laughs> Can I ask my right honourable friend to strain every sinew to try to achieve an international agreement on a Robin Hood tax, bearing in mind yeah, that yeah. we all know who in this house speaks for the Sheriff of Nottingham. <laughs> <laughs> Mr Speaker, I, 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 cannot, uh, I cannot beat the humour which uh, my honourable friend brings to, to, the, to this, this occasion. And when the uh, Leader of the Opposition is having his next pint of Guinness and playing darts, he might consider this, that there is growing support across the world, just as there was growing support to deal with the recession in a way he wouldn't propose to deal with it, growing support for a global levy that will put the place of financial institutions firmly at a global level and make a contribution to society. And that is the way forward, a global levy, a global banking uh, organisation, global financial institutions working together. I hope that the opposition can see beyond their antipathy to Europe to support a global action. Yeah.